We're in Mark chapter 4 today, finishing up in Mark chapter 4. been preaching the gospel of Mark for several weeks now. And uh, here in chapter 4, we've come to the last of the stories of this passage. There were many parables that Jesus told. And after that, uh, then come the events of this very familiar story today where Jesus, on the same day, that is the day when all of these other Uh, messages had been delivered, all that teaching had been done. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. Now this story this morning is not unfamiliar with us. As all these stories that we have, we have looked at them and considered them. But this is a story that Mark told us that is in keeping with the theme he introduced in the very first verse. I'm writing these things so you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, many things we've already seen that Jesus did in order to demonstrate that he was no ordinary man. Things that only God could do. He had demonstrated his authority over demons. Time after time after time. The demons knew who Jesus was. And there were times when they would speak up, we know who you are. And Jesus forbid them to speak. And as he silenced them, you know what the demons did? They were silent. As he told them to come out of whatever body it was that they had possessed, you know what they did? They came out. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do again and again. Then Jesus demonstrated his power over the demonic realm. And when they gave up the bodies that they had possessed and they left out in silence, their silence spoke very loudly. They had acknowledged the power of Jesus Christ. He had demonstrated his power over diseases. People were sick. And the Bible simply tells us that they were sick with divers. That is all kinds of diseases. Now, suddenly, in the last year and a half or so, we've gotten all familiar with the term called coronavirus, but any of the medical professionals here will tell you that the coronaviruses have been around for a long, long time. There's no doubt in my mind that Jesus probably dealt with some of that while he was here, and no question about it. Uh, These viruses have been around for a long time, as all the bacteria have. Whatever they had, they had it. They had sicknesses in Jesus' day, diseases, uh, both viral and bacterial. Uh, We know about how often Jesus dealt with leprosy. But if he was dealing with all kinds of diseases, that means that he would deal with cancer as well. There were people who were born blind. People who were born deaf. People who were mute. 
they were born with limbs missing or misshapen, and all of them were made whole. It was amazing miracles. I mean, we think about that person maybe was born uh, with no legs, and, and their feet were up here by their hip. They, they were lame, as the Bible says, from their mother's womb. But immediately when they were healed, the Bible says <laughs> they were up walking. You ever seen anybody learn how to walk? <laughs> if you've raised kids, you have. Uh, did any of them just jump up and start running, leaping, walking? You see, Jesus a lot of times did more miracles than we ever gave him credit for. He not only restored or in many cases simply created those limbs that weren't there, but then he gave them strength and immediately gave them the ability to use them. It was all a supernatural, miraculous thing then that Jesus had done in performing miracle after miracle, not just one or two, but again and again and again and again. Jesus demonstrated His power over all kinds of diseases. People had had strokes, were paralyzed, but not one of them, not one of them, not one of those diseases, not one of those health problems of any kind, not one had power over Jesus Christ. Do you hear what I'm saying today? Not one of them. Whenever he said to them or did whatever he did and whatever he decided to do in order to heal them, however he did it, and he did it in a lot of different ways, Whatever he did with all of those diseases, those people were immediately, immediately cured. He had demonstrated his power over the demonic realm. He had demonstrated his power over diseases. But now Mark is going to show us another kind of power of our Lord Jesus as he demonstrates his power over two of the mighty forces of nature, wind and waves, wind and water. Either one is a significant force all on its own. Uh, wind, certainly, we're familiar with that one. Uh, uh, the people up on the northeast coast of the United States are getting a big reminder of the power of wind right now as Hurricane Henri is coming ashore, uh, maybe even as we speak, I don't know. But we don't, we don't see the, the hurricanes up here uh, very much, although I remember Gustav, some of you might remember Gustav, uh, was still a tropical storm when it entered our state. So we, we do see some of that. We know about tornadoes. Uh, that's another kind of wind. And we know how a tornado can come through and just in seconds our whole life suddenly has changed. Wind is a powerful force all by itself. Water is a powerful force all by itself. If you don't believe it, let it rain 10 inches in an hour and see. And you've seen that sometimes right here in our own state. Ten inches in an hour, maybe two hours. What's it going to do? Yeah. Water is a powerful force. But when you put those two things together, wind and, and water, you get the waves. And Jesus is going to demonstrate his power over both of them. The story is not unknown to us, but today I hope we'll see it as a reminder First of all, of who Jesus is, the Son of God, and what He does. He does for us what only God can do. And so this morning, we get to be reminded of the sure purpose, 
the sure purpose. We saw that already in the beginning of the passage where Jesus said to them, let us cross over to the other side. You jump up the end of Mark chapter 5 and verse 1, the very next chapter, next verse, then they came to the other side. That's what we call the sure purpose. Jesus said, let's cross over to the other side. Mark chapter 5 and verse 1, they crossed over, they arrived at the other side. The sure purpose. You see, this is our way of remembering and putting on prominent display the purposes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we study this next week in the providence of God, uh, we're going to see that Jesus had a meeting there with a man who was one of those horrible demon-possessed men. It was a, a, a terrible story that this man was living out a horrible life that he was living, and, and Jesus was going there. So he had an objective when he said, let's cross over to the other side. Let's cross over the Sea of Galilee. His objective then was to meet with this demon-possessed man once he arrived there. It reminds us of the story of the woman of the well in Samaria where Jesus had an important appointment, uh, not with the king, uh, but with the Samaritan woman. Not with the king in Gadara, uh, but with a Gentile demoniac person. But in both of these cases, we see the prominent purposes of Jesus Christ then put on display. Let's cross over. So they crossed over. The destination was purposed. Destination was obtained. You see, this reminds us today that Jesus finishes what he starts. There may be many things that go on in our life where we assume that what we are doing is a part of God's purpose for us. And we say that a lot. We might say, well, you know, God has a plan. But sometimes if we're honest, we might be talking about how that we had a plan. And maybe my plan has changed. Well, I don't, but God has a plan. Well, I had a plan. Sometimes we ascribe things to God when really, if we're honest, we'll admit that we're not always real keen on being able to figure out where God's plan stops and my plan starts. Where... We're saying this is what God has for me, but what it really is, is is what I've decided. We need to be very careful about this. Because, listen, when we can look in this passage, we can see something that's true, and the Bible is going to affirm it to us in some amazing ways. Jesus always uh, finishes what He starts. If He has a purpose, then He is going to accomplish that purpose. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul was talking to the church at Corinth about whether they should eat meat offered to idols or not. And he makes this stunning then declaration at the end of that whole discussion. He said then, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Now, we could look then at the things that we decide to do, whatever they might be. And we ask ourselves then, is this something that I can do? And then say, to God be the glory, great things He has done. If I can't look at this, I think, well, should I do this or not? If we can't look at this and do it for the glory of God, then that ought to tell us something. Would this be something that we'd be ashamed to put God's name on? Would this be something that uh, if if God were there and seeing, (laughs) would think about this? If God were seeing me do this, would, would God be happy about it? Well, you know what? God's always seeing us, isn't He? He always sees us. 
And so whatsoever you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it all. Do all to the glory of God. The same Paul would then say to the church at Philippi, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He would say uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 24, Faithful is he that calleth you, notice, who also will do it. Who also will do it. So Jesus, when he determines to do something in our life, he's going to do it. Faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. When we are doing things into the glory of God, then we can say, well, yeah, God is leading me in this. Yes, God is working in this. There's a lot of plans in our life that don't work out. Many goals that we have in life don't get accomplished. We have dreams And those dreams aren't fulfilled. And I'll tell you right now this morning, you can put whatever you want to on your bucket list, but you still might kick the bucket before you finish all that's on your bucket list. We have a lot of things we plan out that we want or we want to do. And those things may or may not happen. But what Jesus starts, He finishes. What He purposes, He brings to pass. What Jesus calls us to do, He is faithful to accomplish it. If He left it all up to us, it might very well be in doubt. But if He calls us to do it, faithful is He then to do it. While our plans and even our lives are often interrupted, I've got good news for you today. Our Lord Jesus Christ never has to say, hang on a second, something's come up. Nothing ever comes up. Nothing ever catches him off guard. Nothing is coming along that's unexpected. And because of that, then we can be comfortable in knowing that our God acts But he never reacts. Never. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Let's cross over to the other side. They crossed over to the other side. But if there's a sure purpose that's demonstrated in the passage, and there most certainly is, there's also a sudden storm. The night began with smooth sailing on that gentle evening breeze, but suddenly, the Bible says, a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. Now, this was probably in the wintertime, and that was the most perilous times for travel on the Lake Tiberias, or as we call it, the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles long and about 8 miles wide. It is the lowest freshwater lake on the planet. It's about between six and 800 feet below sea level. It, it's way down far deep. There's only one body of water that is lower than the Sea of Galilee, and that's the Dead Sea. Now, that's not the only thing about it. Not only is it down deep in this hollow, that's a bowl uh, type thing, but it's surrounded by high mountains. 
because this place is so far below sea level, the whole Jordan River Valley has a subtropical climate. That means it's uh, uh, kind of summertime, uh, spring, summerish, all year round. So here they are on the Sea of Galilee, and it's warm and, and subtropical climate. But up there on top of the mountains, it's wintertime. And when those northern winds come flying over the mountains with all that cold air coming out of the north, and, and you can look at it on the map and see, you know, there, there's just a long way of nothing between them and the Arctic. I mean, it, when that cold wind starts coming over those mountains and, and that cold air then goes rushing down the slopes, it picked up speed. And it's un, it not uncommon at all for them to have gale force winds that would just come up like that when a front moved through. And because it was such a bowl shape there and high ground all around, it would just circulate down there 60 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour, blowing up the waves. The waves crashing against the shore. It would be a maelstrom with waves going in every which direction. It was a very uh, stormy place. I, re I read an account from uh, back in the 90s of, of a time where they had uh, 60 mile an hour uh, winds for almost a, a solid hour. And it blew white wave-driven water then into the city of Tiberias about 200 yards and flooded businesses and flooded streets. And, and that was in the 90s. So this is not an uncommon thing. It happens there. Uh, the storms come up suddenly. Now there was one boat then where Jesus was. But Mark points out that there were other little boats with them as well, and all of them were in danger from this sudden windstorm, danger of being capsized or swamped and sinking. It had been a long day of teaching for Jesus and the disciples. He had ended up in the boat speaking out of it and now they were still in the boat and he said let's cross over to the other side. It seemed like it was going to be a normal kind of journey. Just a routine kind of event. But the storm changed everything and suddenly it wasn't routine anymore. Folks, you and I know how this happened. Where we start out in a day that seems routine. Even if we're in the Lord's work or we're doing uh, the Lord's business. If we're doing something we know that we're supposed to be doing and everything is fine. But no matter what, whether it's in the Lord's work or whether it's in our everyday daily routine that we have dedicated to God and to His service. It starts out so routine. And just like that, it changes. Here's a person that's got a fever one day. They test positive the next. They're in ICU the next on a vent. That's happening all over this country right now. It's happening right here in our own city right now. Seemed like it was going to be just a routine day. And it was until it wasn't. Just a routine day and then... You see that spot on your skin. You feel a bump. A lump. And it's cancer. Just a routine day. Until you're having trouble breathing and 
and there's a tightness in your chest and then you're having open heart surgery. Unbelievably, you're way too young. I'm way too young for this. It's a stroke. No warning. One day you're financially stable and doing well and suddenly you're all but wiped out as the market tumbles. One seemed like a stable income for a lifetime. And all of a sudden that income is shredded by inflation. I could go on and on and on this morning. But I hope you get the point. There are many times in our life where we start out on a routine trip that suddenly the storm comes. Sometimes it's a storm of wind. Uh, Nothing will turn your life upside down like a tornado will. Nothing will turn your life upside down like a flood will. Sometimes it's wind and water. Yeah, it can be that. But a lot of times it's the many, many other things. And it comes on us unexpectedly, suddenly, without warning. Aren't you glad today that our God never has to say, I didn't see that coming. God never says that. And that means one more thing for us this morning. Whatever, listen to me, whatever God has planned for your life is not going to be interrupted by whatever storm comes blowing through. If God has a plan, He is going to finish that plan. Whatever plan God has for you, whatever plan God has for me, this Bible says He is faithful to complete it. And no storm is going to stop you from being able to fulfill the plan that God has for you. He is faithful and just to complete that plan. So if there was a sure purpose in the passage, and there was, let's go over to the other side, and lo and behold, they went to the other side. But in between, there was a storm. But the storm, uh, the storm didn't slow them down much. I mean, it was, it was bad. It was scary. Sure it was. But that brings us to the next point, which is what was Jesus doing in all this? <laughs> he was asleep. Verse 38, but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, now I've looked and all the commentaries said the same thing. Uh, This is the only time in the New Testament where we're ever told that Jesus was asleep. Now, I'm not telling you Jesus didn't sleep. He did sleep. Jesus made the human body. (laughs) He made sleep. He slept. But this is the only time where it actually tells us that Jesus was asleep. It had had been a long day. He had taught. Teaching is hard. And what was it? He was tired and he went to sleep. He had a pillow. Uh, No doubt there was a place maybe covered there in the stern where he could just kind of back up in there, lay down, put his head on on this pillow, something to rest his head on. And, and they started out, it was a gentle evening breeze, and, and they'd hoisted the sail, and everything was going along, just a gentle breeze, and Jesus went sound asleep. And that's a matter of some significance, because the Bible says in Psalm 121 and verse 4, Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. 
God doesn't take a nap. He doesn't even feel the need. He, he doesn't get tired and get sleepy. So what we have here in this passage is a time when both the deity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus is put on prominent display. He was fully man, so he was tired and he went to sleep. And I mean, he didn't just doze off. He was deep asleep. But he could also say, as we'll see in a moment, peace be still. The wind, you see, didn't wake up Jesus. What woke him up? The cry of the disciples woke him up. He didn't wake at the wind, not the wind tossing the ship, not the waves crashing into it, not the spray of the waves that was running into it, not the sound of the disciples as they were desperately bailing water and splashing around. None of that woke him up. Why? He was sound asleep. Have you ever raised teenagers? Teenagers can sleep through anything. I was once one of those myself, and I'm sure I could too. I I can verify. I remember very vividly the time that my dad and I both were asleep in the living room, and a tornado was coming by within a block of our house, and neither one of us woke up. Mama come in there screaming, there's a tornado, there's a tornado. We were sound asleep. So what do you do when you're laying on the couch on a Sunday afternoon, and your mama comes through screaming, there's a tornado? You get up and run outside, of course, because you want to see it. That's what me and Daddy did. (laughs) I still remember the door whipping out of my hand when I opened that screen door open. I was surprised it didn't get torn up. Teenagers can sleep through anything. I I hope God has this on video for us. I want to see it. I want to see what Jesus looked like when he woke up. I really do. I mean, did he stretch? Did he have that kind of glazed look on his eye when you've been in that sound? Did you ever woke somebody up and they were sound asleep? I love calling people and they say, oh, were you asleep? No, I wasn't asleep. <sighs> Jesus was asleep. I mean, he wasn't, just, he wasn't just napping. He was big time asleep. They woke him up. And what did he do? Verse 39, well, he arose. That's all the Bible tells us. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He rebuked the wind. Have you ever spoke to the wind? If you ever have, you know the wind doesn't listen. But the wind listened to Jesus. And it did what he told them to do. He rebuked it. He spoke to it sharply. What are you doing? Quit it. I don't know what he said. He rebuked it. Whatever he said, the wind stopped blowing. And he also spoke to the sea. Ever spoke to the sea? The sea doesn't listen to you. Doesn't listen to me. But when Jesus spoke to the sea and said, Peace be still, the sea heard his voice and did exactly what he told it to do. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 tells us that all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. We're told that He is before all things and by Him all things consist or held together. Science still today is trying to identify the mysterious force that holds the galaxies together. 
They know that something does, and they know it's not gravity because the stars are too far apart. There's not enough mass in them to create enough gravity for them to exert influence on each other. And yet you can look at any of the galaxies and see them all spinning on their course. They obviously have something that's holding them together. Mr. Scientist, if you're listening today, I can tell you what is the glue of the galaxies. His name is Jesus. He created them, and by Him, the Bible says, all things consist or are held together. It is His voice then that spoke and said, light be and light became. It was His hands that scooped out the oceans to begin with. It was His hands that that piled up the mountains. He created the stars. He created the stars that He knew when He made them that generations of people would live and die and live and die and never see these stars until our generation came along. We finally invented something big enough to let us see them. They'd been there all along. He created them for this generation. He created the whole universe out of something so small that He couldn't see it. Things that are, the Bible says, are not made of things that, are appear, that do appear. God told us that all the way back in the Bible times. And yet, here we are. We have figured it out. We know that there's an atomic particle that, that is a composition of composing all matter. Uh, God put all of that in place knowing that it would be this generation then, this time, that we'd finally be able to invent something that lets us see all of that. And yet for all the things that God made and put in place just for our world today, just for our generation to see, for all of those things, people still say no to God. Still turn away from Him in resistance and rebellion. On the Sea of Galilee then long ago, Jesus gave evidence of His mastery over the creation when He stopped the hurricane wind and Flattened the wind-tossed waves. Then lastly, this morning, we'll look at the scary dilemma, what I call. If there was a sleeping sovereign, there was. There was. We've, we've seen the sudden storm and the sure purpose. Notice then the sleeping sovereign and the scary dilemma. Why are you so fearful, he said. How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and sea obey him? Just a minute before, you see, they were afraid of the wind and the waves. But now they were afraid of the one they had woke up. In fact, they were exceedingly afraid. They feared exceedingly. They feared him a whole lot more than they ever feared the wind and the waves. Just going on what Mark gives us in this passage, it doesn't appear that Jesus was rebuking them for being afraid of the wind or the waves. He seems to be rebuking them for being afraid of him. See, the response that these events should have elicited from these men was faith, not fear. Why is it that you have no faith? Their faith should have grown, but instead their fear grew. 
This wasn't uncommon. It's a story we could tell again and again, and the Bible does tell it again and again. I could tell you a dozen stories, but I'll just tell you another boat story from this same sea, probably the same boat, at least one guy who was in both places, Simon Peter. This story was told in Luke chapter 5. Jesus had gone out in Simon Peter's boat, Sea of Galilee, preaching to a crowd, preached for a while. After the crowd then was sent away, he said to Simon Peter, launch out a little ways and drop your nets down for a drop. Well, Simon Peter did what you and I so often do. Now, Lord, you might not be aware of this. Let me inform you of something. You know, we fished all night long and didn't catch nothing. But, nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down a net. He did. Sure enough, right where Jesus said they were, there was a great school of fish, and he hauled them in so much the net was breaking. What did Simon Peter do at that moment? Simon Peter got on his face at the knees of Jesus and said depart from me for I am a sinful man you see the dilemma the scary dilemma is easily expressed are we more frightened when God doesn't work or are we more frightened when he does Are we more frightened when we're calling out to God and it seems that He's not hearing or not answering, He's not doing what we want Him to do. We can't trace His hand. We don't know, we don't understand what God is doing or if He is doing. Does that scare us? And of course it does. (laughs) But are we even more frightened when God begins to work? You see, whether, whether God is at work in a way that we would understand or whether God is not working, whether, whether God is doing something and we see Him doing something or maybe we don't, our response is the same either way. We keep trusting Him. You see, our God is faithful when He's at work and we can see Him working, though it scares us sometimes what He does and how He does it. And if you hadn't served Jesus long enough for Him to really scare you by what He asked you to do, that you hadn't served Him long enough, just keep at it. You will. You'll experience that. You'll see Him working. And man, what am I going to do now? Oh, there's a lot of times that we're scared by what God does. Just like we're scared when we're in the storm and we're doing everything we can and looks like it's going to sink us. But in either response, folk, there's a place for faith. The hymn writer perhaps said it best. No water could swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. (laughs) They could have understood, hey, Jesus in our boat, we're not going to go down. The waves aren't going to sink him. Might sink me, but not him. 
It was a place for faith. And certainly after he's worked and the wind is stilled and the waves are calm, there's a place for faith. The writer of the book of Hebrews put it this way. Let us therefore come boldly, boldly. Did I mention boldly? Boldly, boldly to the throne of grace. To the throne. The throne of God. Let us come boldly. Why? Because it's a throne of grace. Aren't you glad God sits on the throne of grace today? That we might obtain what? Mercy. And find grace to help in time of need. See, the the proper response is always, always for us to believe, to trust. Because we know that what God starts, He finishes. And God is never caught off guard. Never has an unforeseen, unexpected interruption. And he accomplishes his purposes. Folks, I I know fully well what we've gone through in the last year and a half. I know. And all of us need to ask ourselves the question, have, have we responded to everything that's happening in our world as God's people? Have we responded in faith or in fear? Some combination of both, most of us. But faith is always appropriate because greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Let's stand together, please.